This is a bonus episode of Decoding Fox News, and I am your host, Juliette Chesky. Each week, I watch and analyze a whole heck of a lot of Fox News and then break it down. You can probably guess why I'm doing this bonus episode. We just had the first GOP presidential debate on Fox News. I'm coming to you not live. Yes, I do record this. Go back over and clean it up. Ha 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 ha. I say that all the time because I, I going live would terrify me. Anyway, because um, you say people say stuff and then they go, wait, I shouldn't have said that. Let me go back and cut that out. <laughs> so I'm not live from a hotel uh, room in Philly because I'm here for a seminar uh, or conference for online media journalists. I haven't gone to a single session yet because I've been working the whole time. And I thought this was far more important to get this out to you as soon as humanly possible. And I did one of my usual, um, some might say too crazy of an analysis where I went through the whole thing twice, broke it down question by question, picked out what I thought were the most memorable moments. Um, I also wanna say, which was pretty funny, is this is just a little side note because I, I find it entertaining, and you might as well. But uh, I got here yesterday, and due to some circumstances beyond my control, I hadn't had a wink of sleep, not even an hour. And uh, I discovered when I worked on sets, this happened a lot on television and film sets, um, the hours were absolutely, absolutely punishing, and so I'd have to get there really early, and I'd often be ridiculously sleep-deprived. Sleep deprivation looks like a person's drunk, often. Your face gets red, you slur your words, you drool, and you tend to be a little hyper, a little weird, a little goofy. And that's how I was coming across. And after talking to a, a couple of old friends I hadn't seen in a while, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out. I'm just going to work. Then as soon as they let me into my hotel room, which wasn't until 4 p.m. because the Marriott really knows what they're doing. Yeah, I'm calling you out, Marriott. 4 p.m. It's ridiculous, but that's what their—that's what their check-in time was. Um, then I collapsed, got up, and uh, I slept for like three hours. Got up and then got the debate, and then worked on it as late as I possibly could last night. Crashed, got back up again, continued to work on it all day today. Went out, got some amazing vegan food from the Reading Terminal place that's right by the hotel. That oh my Philly, the food. I love you, Philly. I'm just—I'm ranting, but I love you, Philly. You're, the food has been incredible. Um, so that's it. <laughs> I'm a little loopy. I'd like to actually join this conference at some point. Um, so I, I got to get this in the can. I'm also going to point out really quickly that I'm in a very different uh, space, acoustically speaking, than I normally record in. So this hotel room is a lot of flat, slick surfaces, which are not great for audio recording. So I'm going to do my best to enunciate and be as clear as possible so you can understand me because I'm already having a little bit of a difficulty when I, I'm playing it back. It definitely sounds very different. So here we go. Um, probably won't do a lot of goofy voices for this one because I don't know if you'll understand me. So here we go. We got plenty of entertainment though. They gave us more than we needed. Uh, the first Republican presidential debate for the 2024 election started with a dramatic rendition of the national anthem sung by a woman in a giant yellow ball gown, while a camera attached to a drone swept over a packed arena. The first time I voted for president was in 1992, and I cannot recall a more over-the-top opening to a presidential debate. It was Fox News, after all. 
The network also chose to host this showdown at the FISREV Forum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The venue normally hosts basketball games and can hold 17,500 people. The choice was made to present this full-on gladiator style. There is no attempt to quell the crowd or suppress heckling, applause, boos, or cheering. Brett Baer and Martha McCallum were supposed to act as moderators, but did little to stop the entire endeavor from dissolving into shouting matches and incomprehensible crosstalk. The candidates weren't really pressed to answer direct questions, and the crowd's raucous responses just heightened the circus-like atmosphere of the event. So one of my followers on Facebook actually said she was hoping any of the presidential candidates would just flip their lecterns in a fit of rage. Maybe someone would introduce a plastic folding chair and go full Alabama boat brawl. Who wouldn't want to see an actual physical fight between Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy? Sure, Christie is a lot larger than his rival, but I doubt Ramaswamy could do much more than end up rolling around on the ground with the former governor of New Jersey. I wouldn't put it past Fox to stage an actual presidential deathmatch debate in a boxing ring at some point. I mean, it would get ratings. Even though he did not attend, former President Donald J. Trump loomed large over the proceedings. He would have been so proud, as he's done more to reduce the Republican Party to the political equivalent of a bunch of spandex-clad shit-talkers hoping to own the libs while destroying democracy. Now, Fox kept it crazy with the first question, so the moderators asked a total of 19 questions. Two were related to the former president. Um, surprisingly, you'd think it was going to be more. I thought it was going to be more than two, but it was only two. And when I say 19, some of those questions were like re-asked, but just slightly differently. So I just reduced it to 19. So the first question was the dumbest. Asking about the economy makes perfect sense, but weaving in a mediocre viral blue-collar anthem seemed a bit forced. So Fox has really been pushing this rich man from Richmond song way too much, like segment after segment after segment going on for two weeks now. So this was the first question of the debate, just absolutely stunning. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and read it because uh, McCallum kind of went on a bit too long and I want to make it a little bit shorter, but it was as we sit here tonight, the number one song on the billboard chart is called rich man North of Richmond. It's sung by a singer from Farmville, Virginia named Oliver Anthony. His lyrics speak of alienation, a deep frustration with the state of the government and his country. Washington, D.C. is about 100 miles north of Richmond. Then they played the actual, actual song again. So, Governor DeSantis, why is this song striking such a nerve in this country right now? And here's his answer. And it starts with understanding we must reverse Bidenomics so that middle-class families have a chance to succeed again. We cannot succeed as a country if you are working hard and you can't afford groceries, a car, or a new home while Hunter Biden can make hundreds of thousands of dollars on lousy paintings. That is wrong. We we also cannot succeed when the Congress spends trillions and trillions of dollars. Those rich men north of Richmond have put us in this situation. And finally, we need to lower your gas prices. We're going to open up all energy production. We will be energy dominant again in this country. I showed it could be done in the state of Florida. I pledge to you as your president, we will get the job done and I will not let you down. 
So you can see in that one example how um, much the crowd is going to play its own role here. By having a live audience that large and not controlling them in any way, shape, or form, Fox knew what they were doing. Uh, the, the, the crowd is going to influence what happens on that stage, and that stage is going to get crazier and crazier as the crowd gets more and more obnoxious because they're kind of playing off each other. Instead of it being like a reasoned debate where they won't let people scream and yell, um, it also sort of helps pivot what Fox wants to emphasize. So if you let the crowd scream over somebody, oh, well, if they answered, it doesn't really matter now, does it? So this next question was basically, I'm just going to paraphrase it to make this simpler. Brett Baer just turns to Vivek Ramaswamy and he says, who are you? You're only 38. You've only voted for president twice, according to what you've said. You know, why should anybody vote for you? And this is Vivek's answer. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name? And what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. So again, I'm going to note um, his goofy voice, which I think is completely manufactured. Uh, I think Vivek, it's actually Vivek. Everybody says his name wrong. But Vivek Ramaswamy's um, voice is so manipulated that it's, I don't think he, like when he's talking to his wife or talking to his kids, he sounds like this. I don't think that he goes, hello, children. How are you? Have you been playing with your Legos? I don't, I don't think he does. And there was actually a clip of him getting upset with um, somebody asking him a question. And when he got upset, his voice did pitch higher and didn't sound anything like that manufactured voice that he uses. So I also want to point out that he is plagiarizing, basically, Barack Obama. And I, I'm going to say plagiarizing uh, because had he said much like Barack Obama or given a more overt nod to Barack Obama than he wouldn't be. But because he didn't do that and then he didn't get called out for it till much later that somebody's like, hey, you're trying to say you're Barack Obama, um, that it was like, yeah, he, that was pretty cheesy. Um, obviously, that's a well enough known quote that I don't think people thought he came up with it originally. I missed it the first time I watched it. But um you know, just come on. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And I think th there was no real pushback. Nobody said, hey, wait a second. You know, being a president is kind of difficult. You kind of have to know the political beast before you get the top job. You need to have a little bit of experience with this. But no, it was just, oh, he made a, a pithy little comment like Obama. We're just going to let that go. And Vivek Ramaswamy in this entire debate is sort of why a debate like this is so useless because the more outrageous you get the more crowd response you get the more outrageous you get it becomes this um, self-fulfilling situation of just like I'm gonna you know get this live audience revved up so I'm gonna say more and more outrageous things and so the person who's acting like the chicken just stomping on everything like look at me look at me is the one that's gonna get the most focus not the most important candidate not the candidate saying the best things not the candidate who's making actual intelligent answers no just the candidate who acts the nuttiest will get the most response this is sort of the Trump effect now Trump's not the only candidate that's ever done this but Trump has sort of permanently altered our political discourse in some ways. And that Vivek knows this and he's like, I've got this. I'm just going to make slogans and say crazy stuff and act a fool. And then I'll come out on top on this. I don't know if he did or not, but I hope not because I think he would be an absolute nightmare. 
Now Vivek at this point pivots back to the first question, which he did not get a chance to answer. But his answer was just, this is a doozy. This one right here is a doozy. This isn't that complicated, guys. Unlock American energy, drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Put people back to work by no longer paying them more to stay at home. Reform the U.S. Fed, stabilize the U.S. dollar, and go to war. The only war that I will declare as U.S. president will be the war on the federal administrative state that is the source of those toxic regulations acting like a wet blanket on the economy. So I'm not... Such a short quote, but so much going on with that. So burning coal is kind of, I mean, is it 1975? What are we doing here? It's economically not as viable as it used to be because there's other alternatives uh, for fuel and coal is, you know, causes all kinds of other problems. Coal is pretty much dead in the United States. It's not going to come back. Um, but okay, Vivek, tell yourself that. Then the other part of that comment that I thought was very funny was this idea of the, the government paying people to stay home rather than work. What year is it? You might want to check a calendar and look up when the last uh, federal stimulus check went to American citizens because it was quite a while ago. So unemployment uh, also varies by state. It's not a federal, it's a federal issue, but it's really a state's issue. And it's based on what you made when you were working and many, many, many things factor into unemployment, but unemployment payments, SNAP, or welfare are certainly not going to be usually in almost every case more than it would be to work an actual job. But okay, Vivek. Now, um, okay, Vivek. There, I got, I got a slogan. I'm okay. I'm Vivek. Okay, so then there was a lot of fighting between Pence and Ramaswamy, and the first large wave of boos erupted when the former vice president referred to Ramaswamy as a rookie. Well, he is. Then the moderators directed the same question to DeSantis, and he took the opportunity to abruptly transition to a completely different topic, which is kind of amazing there. He was like, I've got this locked and loaded. I want to say it. I'm going to I'm gonna sneak it in. DeSantis. So here's the thing. Why are we in this mess? Part of it and a major reason is because how this federal government handed COVID-19 by locking down this economy. It was a mistake. It should have never happened. And in Florida, we led the country out of lockdown. We kept our state free and open. And I can tell you this, as your president, I will never let the deep state bureaucrats lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. You bring Fauci in, you sit him down, and you say, Anthony, you are fired. And again, the crowd sort of becomes its own character. And then we've got Vivek, who totally saw that for what it was because nobody had brought up COVID, nobody had brought up uh, Fauci, and he whips this out. Do you want a super PAC puppet? Or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what you're hearing about? Or do you want revolution? So that moment kind of reminded me of Bernie Sanders a little bit. It was as if Vivek Ramaswamy sat down, watched a bunch of debates, and was like, I like that one, I like that one, I like this bit, and I'm going to use them all. And as if, uh, you know, super PAC puppets wasn't also a canned, planned response. Of course it was. So then moving on, and we go into climate change. And again, Vivek Ramaswamy brings the crazy, brings the completely unreasonable answer 
and here we go. So basically they go to a, the moderator shifted to a pre-taped question by a young voter. So the young voter says, you know, the perception is, is that Republicans don't care about climate change. What do you think? And um, DeSantis starts it off by criticizing President Biden's response to the wildfires in Hawaii, which was interesting, didn't answer the question at all. And then Vivek Ramaswamy drops this one. It's um, my hands are in my pockets. No, 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 I didn't raise, I didn't raise a hand. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change oh, whoa, agenda whoa, whoa, whoa. is a That's hoax. Ridiculous. The climate change ridiculous. agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. And so the reality is more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate change. Governor. So he didn't elaborate or provide any specifics. And then Chris Christie just couldn't take it anymore and unloads. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Now, Chris Christie is a lot of things, and the one thing that he's very good at is debate. And he's very smart, and he found his opportunity there, and he used that stolen quote from Obama and just stabbed him in the heart with it. I thought that was very well played by the former governor of New Jersey. Now, what Chris Christie is not so good at, many would argue, is running the state of New Jersey. You know, like closing a public beach and then going to that beach with your family. Not a good idea. Bad optics, among many, many other things. Now, this entire debate shifted to abortion. And because I almost had too much here, so I'm just going to mention briefly what happened here. So McCallum opened up the question of abortion and said that it had hurt Republicans. Now, at this point, they gave me too many quotes um, in that this was probably the, uh, some questions only got answered by one or two people. This one pretty much got answered by almost everybody on the stage. So I couldn't include it all. It would take over the entire podcast. But basically it came down to this. Should you have a federal ban on abortion or should you have a federal ban on abortion after 15 weeks? Only Nikki Haley was the one that said, hey, uh, yeah, you're not going to get a federal ban without a majority House vote and 60 senators, and we're not going to have that. That never happens. This is never going to happen. This is folly. And she was basically just shouted over. So what we learned was basically everybody on that stage either wants a 15-week ban or a total federal ban, probably very unlikely for either one to pass. Then they moved on to crime, which then turned into gun control kind of abruptly, Two people answered the crime question, and then uh, Brett Baer decided to switch it to gun control, and Christie pivoted it back to crime because he didn't want to answer gun control, basically, which was kind of masterful. Again, he's very good at this. Um, Not great at governing, but good at a debate. And when Hunter Biden fills out a fake application, a false application for a a gun permit, and then is facing a 10-year mandatory minimum, which was mandated by legislation sponsored by his father, 
and then you have a Justice Department that walks away from those charges, we're telling people that the law doesn't apply to everybody. In a Christie administration, he would go to jail for 10 years. What about a president? I wish somebody had come in with a follow-up question about how many people get caught lying on gun forms because it's a lot. So if all those people were serving 10 years in jail, that would be a lot of, and it would be prison actually if it's 10 years. So 10 years in prison, Chris Christie, I'm going to correct you on that. Jail is the holding place before your trial or under a year. Prison is when you go for more than a year. I'm being, being a nerd. I can't help. So then Brett Baer directed the question to Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy answered without even bringing up guns. He talked about mental health. Okay. And then he got to DeSantis and this was DeSantis's answer. These hollowed out cities, this is a symptom of America's decline. And one of the biggest reasons is because you have George Soros funding these radical left-wing district attorneys. They get into office and they right. say they're not going to prosecute crimes. Yeah. They disagree with the inmates start running the asylum. So then he bragged about firing two freely elected district attorneys because, you know, democracy and all that. So before the debate went to the next commercial, the moderator showed, and this was, I openly guffawed, fell over laughing, a live feed from a camera outside the Fulton County Jail. So what made this funny, well, many reasons, is it didn't look like much of anything. It was dark out and the viewer saw what looked like some type of gated checkpoint into the facility. And it was the Fulton County Jail. And then they shifted to Trump. And then the next question when they came back from commercial was, would you support Trump if he's the nominee? As Christie predictably criticized Trump, he was overcome by boos from the audience. Ramaswamy laid into Christie, then the two of them battled it out while the crowd shouted over both of them. So the former governor of New Jersey managed to get this out. It's important to say that the president said, Donald Trump said, it's okay to suspend the constitution. Now, the oath you take is to preserve, protect, and defend, not suspend. I will always stand up for our Constitution, regardless of the political pressure. So that was kind of exciting to see, didn't you think? I thought. I was like, ooh, we're finally going there. So then they asked a big question also, Trump-related. Did Pence do the right thing on January 6th? Senator Tim Scott completely dodged it. Governor Ron DeSantis also didn't answer but eventually begrudgingly said he supported Pence's decision after Pence spoke about it. Asa Hutchinson made a direct verbal stab at the former president, which was met by loud boos by the audience. He was also the only person who uttered the word insurrection. So if that was your drinking game, you, you were very, very sober um, last night. I said that Donald Trump was morally disqualified from being president again as a result of what happened on January 6th. More people are understanding the importance of that, including conservative legal scholars who says he may be disqualified under the 14th Amendment from being president again as a result of the insurrection. This is something that could disqualify him under our rules and under the Constitution. And the crowd loved it, obviously. They loved it. They thought it was great. So then we're moving on to, should the U.S. continue to support Ukraine? DeSantis basically said that European countries needed to do more. Then Ramaswamy weighed in. And you could probably guess where this is going to go. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. 
Now, after he said that, I actually wrote down in my notes, I think Vivek Ramaswamy thinks the Ukrainian army is going to come over to our southern border along with tanks, F-16 fighter jets, um, anti-tank weapons, artillery, cruise missiles, cluster bombs, all that fun stuff. I think they really thought, I don't know if we're using cruise missiles or not. I'm not sure. But, you know, you get the picture. Bring over all of this hardcore, heavy-duty military, um, you know, resources, because that's what he said, to fight, oftentimes, you know, people with a backpack and sneakers coming across our border. But, you know, that, that's, that was his vision, and he was sticking to it. So then Pence evoked the Reagan doctrine in, in not the best way, which then triggered Ramaswamy to declare that the Soviet Union ended in 1990, to which I was in this hotel room with my computer and I screamed out loud, you mean 1991. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, you know, I was kind of, whew. I just find it humorous that the same people who constantly decry communism and act as if it's just around the corner also can't seem to get basic, just basic, basic, basic information correct about it. But yes, the year was 1991, very, very late 1991, like, like the day after Christmas. So, ha 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 ha. Very funny. So then Haley weighed in with her support for Ukraine. The debate disintegrated into a shouting match between Haley and Ramaswamy. She pivoted to Israel and what she believed was his lack of support for the country. As he spoke, the crowd screamed over him to a point that his remarks were largely drowned out. Then the debate dissolved into a bunch of crosstalk between Pence and Ramaswamy. DeSantis interjected and started talking about the southern border. Bear, again, he's supposed to be one of the moderators, made a pivot to China. And this started with, how would you deter China? So you think, okay, now they're going to talk about China? No, you're wrong. Burgum, who I was calling eyebrows for the entire evening with my siblings who were texting me the whole time. So Burgum managed to pivot to the southern border in his answer, which Senator Tim Scott also picked up on and then ran with his answer, which also turned into a discussion about fentanyl. Yeah, we're going to fentanyl now. What? I don't know. I don't know what's going on either. So yes, things were really this far out of control because the people were just answering whatever the heck they wanted to answer regardless of the question. So the moderators went for this. Would you authorize lethal force at the southern border? Hutchinson was asked the question, but the moderators decided to up the ante. So the next question, and it was immediately after that, was to DeSantis directly. Would you support sending U.S. special forces over the border to take out fentanyl labs and drug cartel operations? DeSantis enthusiastically responded that he would basically start a war with Mexico. Here's his response. Yes. Yes, and I will do it on day one. Here's the thing. The cartels are killing tens of thousands of our fellow citizens. You want to talk about a country in decline? You have the cartels controlling a lot of part of your southern border. We have to reestablish the rule of law, and we have to defend our people. The president of the United States has got to use all available powers as commander in chief to protect our country and to protect the people. So when they're coming across, yes, we're going to use lethal force. Yes, we reserve the right to operate. How many more tens of thousands are we going to let to die? I am. 
nobody pointed out the legality of any of that, but okay, let's just send in U.S. Special Forces into a sovereign nation that happens to border ours. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, the moderators moved to, what would you do about the illegal immigrants that are already in the U.S., which probably should have come up sooner. That seems like a reasonable question. But then... Chris Christie answered that he would basically detain millions of undocumented immigrants. I'm not sure we have the prison space for that, but okay. And then he transitioned back to fentanyl in China. They, it seemed like they all had like fentanyl things in their pocket. And they're like, at some point, I'm just going to mention fentanyl. They're going to ask me about education and I'm going to whip out fentanyl. I don't care. And he basically said he was going to wage war with China. Here we go. The Chinese are engaging in an act of war against us, killing our citizens. We better make that priority one in our conversations with China and to try to straighten that relationship out. Because if we don't, we're going to lose more and more of our citizens. I, I just so from that, they pivoted to what would you do about the decline in education? Seems like another reasonable question. Governor DeSantis boasted about getting rid of critical race theory and gender ideology from Florida schools. I'm not sure how either would raise math and reading scores, but nobody pushed back on his statements. Then Bear pivoted to Ramaswamy by asking him if he really did intend to basically gut the federal government of several departments and agencies. That the Department of Education, the FBI, the ATF, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the IRS, the Department of Commerce, many of these should not exist. That's correct. So to the education question, how would you deal with the crisis? So look, we have a crisis of achievement. Let's shut down the head of the snake, the Department of Education. Take that $80 billion, put it in the hands of parents across this country. This is the civil rights issue of our time. Allow any parent to choose where they send their kids to school. End the teachers unions at the local level to allow public schools to compete and then revive our national identity where every high school senior should have to pass the same civics test that frankly every immigrant, including my mother, had to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. And the fact of the matter is, look, there's part of education policy that also rests with the family. So then Ramaswamy made the bold declaration that he quote unquote, did not grow up with money, which I guess is relative since his father worked as a, get this, engineer and patent attorney for General Electric, and his mother was a psychiatrist. He also attended a private Catholic high school. Okay, I guess when he said he didn't grow up with money, he meant he didn't grow up with a gold toilet servants and a yacht. His family also came from the highest caste in India, which meant they were more likely to have access to education, higher education and all of that, which they did have before they immigrated. So it's not that they were like the poorest of the poor in India and scraped up enough money to get to the United States, which does happen. In his case, they were highly educated people who took the choice to take the risk to come to the United States, which of course they did, and they prospered, but they were not um, the equivalent of like a migrant farm worker and a maid. So then Ramaswamy made an absolutely outrageous comment about welfare recipients. And he's made this comment before. I've clipped it before and made fun of him for it before. Because what he's about to say just absolutely enraged me. Like, jumped out of my skin, made me mad. Part of the problem is we also have a federal government that pays single women more not to have a man in the house than to have a man in the house, contributing to an epidemic of fatherlessness. 
Now, the first time Vivek said that, I kind of jumped out of my skin because I had the same reaction I had last night, which is, you are so clueless. You, oh. So the amount of money a single mother would get if she was living completely off of government uh, support would be welfare, SNAP, possibly Section 8 vouchers for rent. None of that would amount to much money. The Section 8, you don't even see the money. It goes directly to the um, landlord. You pay a portion of your rent, usually in most cases. Uh, SNAP is a very humble amount of money. And it, again, it depends on how many children you have. And uh, welfare is a very humble amount of money. So even if you change that amount of money, either way, less or more, depending if you wanted to incentivize having a quote-unquote man live with you, live in the home, um, because that would just suddenly magically make everything better, it's laughable to think that that would have any real effect. Because it's not that the men, it's not that women are like, you know what, I might make an extra 150 a month if I'm truly a single mom, so you better get a packing man who has a job who could support me and my children you better leave because i want that government money is that what he thinks happens is that what he thinks happens i also want to point out that men have been abandoning women since the beginning of time and i'm not saying that only men do it because in my family in one case a woman a mother abandoned small children to one of my relatives i won't get into the specifics for his privacy but it happens men and women sometimes do not do the right thing and relationships fall apart for any number of reasons. People have children and then don't take care of them for any number of reasons. And a little tiny bit of extra money or less money from the government is not going to make a lick of difference. Child support in this country, in the, even in states where it is punishable by prison sentence, like you will be sent to jail for a short period of time, which is very controversial because like, how can you pay your child support if you're in jail? all of these issues, but even in some states where men or women will go and be incarcerated briefly for not paying their child support, they still don't pay their child support. That's how bad it is. So this idea that you could manipulate uh, social engineering, you can change human behavior with just a little bit or a little less of money in a government program is just downright laughable. Like we're, the, the epidemic of fatherlessness is just another way of blaming single mothers for everything. Single mothers, uh, there were less of them in the 1970s and 80s. More families were intact in the 70s and 80s. And guess what? Crime was higher. So <laughs> that's another argument that they make all the time. And I always whip out the 70s because the 70s were, were a volatile time in many ways. You had high, uh, much higher interest rates, much higher um, unemployment, much higher inflation much higher crime, more intact families. Uh, women couldn't get a, uh, a lease or a, a loan on their own. They couldn't get a credit card without a man's signature. No kidding. In my lifetime, in my lifetime, if I was my age now when I was born, I couldn't get my, I wouldn't be able to own my apartment. I wouldn't be able to have a credit card. I wouldn't, I don't know how student loans would have worked back in the 70s because they didn't really exist in the same way back then, but I wouldn't be able to get my own loan on my own name. No kidding. My mother got fired from her first job because she got pregnant, even though she was a married woman. All of this happened. So if that's the reality we want to go back to, you think that's going to be better? Well, crime was a lot higher in that decade, a lot higher than it is today. Just, I'm ranting, 
But that man gets me so, like, oh, God, that comment's still making me mad. I'm thinking of it, and I'm still getting mad because it's just oversimplifying, not really understanding how human beings actually act in real life. So the next question was about trans athletes in women's sports. And I don't know how important this is to your average American, but this question didn't really go very far with the panel. Nikki Haley, however, kind of masterfully pivoted back to education and talked about, oh, I don't know, something that nobody else was talking about, which was math and reading proficiency scores. Here you go. But we've got to get these kids reading. If a child can't read by third grade, they're four times less likely to graduate high school. So we need to make sure we bring in reading remediation all over this country. We need transparency in the classroom because parents should never have to wonder what's being said or taught to their children in the classroom. Now, for someone were to ask me who I thought the real winner was in this debate, I would say Nikki Haley, even though it, I'm sure she won't be. Um, but the only candidate who actually um, kind of got across that she knew how government actually works and that a president is not a dictator, you have to get along with Congress, you have to get along with the courts, and sometimes a good thing, what you think is going to be your, you know, your, your luckiest day ends up hurting you, which would be the Dobbs decision, and that abortion has actually hurt Republicans all over the country. She pointed this out, like an adult, like somebody who actually has governing experience. Um, she answered the most eloquently. Um, she was the most detailed. However, our current Republican Party seems to rather support someone like Ramaswamy, who just says crazy stuff, can't back anything up, and then declares it. Um, he was almost like trying to be a mini Trump. Um, or DeSantis, who also does, you know, similar tactics of saying outrageous things. Uh, Chris Christie probably has no prayer whatsoever. Hutchinson, who is he? Nobody even knows. Eyebrows, I can't even remember his name. It was just uh, Pence, good luck with that. It, you know, none of these people really have much of a chance because unfortunately Trump will just run with it, most likely, but you never know. Who knows? Who knows? It's still early, but boy, this was... This did not bode well. This did not bode well for the state of the Republican Party. Then the moderator switched to kind of a lightning round, which was supposed to be um, quick questions with quick answers back. It, of course, just ended into complete chaos. Uh, here are the five questions that were left. Should there be a cognitive test for candidates who run for president? Do you want a mental acuity test for candidates over 75? Is there a role for a president about the decline in faith in the United States. Do you support mandatory military service for all Americans? And if, this was my favorite, if you were president, would you level with the American public about what the government knows about UFOs? I'm not kidding, that was the, it was the last question. I'm telling you, that actually happened. So Chris Christie, his answer is a bit too long to play here, but he managed to wedge in his fight against the teachers unions when asked about UFOs, which was probably the most creative answer of the entire night. Now I'm gonna just play a little tiny snippet of the general tone of the debate so you get a sense of the chaos. I will answer that. This, I will answer that. Listen, we're getting control of the debate. This is a lightning round, not rolling thunder. Well, you are a witty one, Brett Bear. Um, no, that was embarrassing. The entire thing was a fiasco. 
Okay, so but this one was a luminary. Words used during the first GOP debate, and I was writing them feverishly down throughout the debate. Top of the list, this one kind of shocked me, China at 47, Biden, 41, border, 38, the word life, because that got brought up a lot, 29, Trump, 25, Ukraine, 22, crime, 15, fentanyl, 9, Putin, 9, polls, 8, climate change, 8, inflation, 7, the phrase abortion on demand or up until birth, 5, Fauci, twice, lockdown, twice, heartbeat, twice, gender, twice, Hunter Biden, twice, and this one blew us all away, woke was only used once. I think somebody got a note and was like, don't use woke. We're done with woke. We're sick of it. Please stop it with the wokeness. We can't take it anymore. And I can't take it anymore. And I'm done. That's it. I have worked nonstop since I got here. The good people who are running this conference can tell when you've like checked into an event. And um, if anyone was checking my name, they'd be like, hey, what is that lady doing? Uh, Is she drunk? And I'll be like, no, I was just sleep deprived. They look the same. I am very self-conscious about that because (laughs) when I worked on sets... Um, again, in television and film, I was just a background actor, and that's like a fairly lowly job. And there were many, many times where they'd be like, okay, so last night you worked till 3 a.m. Tomorrow we're going to put you on a different production, and your call time is 6 a.m. You can do that, right? And you're like, sure. And that meant with an hour commute going home, uh, sleeping, getting up, getting brand new wardrobe ready, hair and makeup ready, and then showing up on the new set, delirious. And I'm telling you from a lifetime of experience, sleep deprivation and intoxication look very similar. And since I don't know these good people, when I showed up here yesterday having zero hours of sleep, I was I started interacting with a couple people. I, one person I knew from Twitter, I don't know him that well. I just met him. The other person I worked with in an internship and I was hearing myself, I was being very aware of how I sounded and I'm like, I sound drunk, go to sleep. Go to sleep, you lunatic. You need to sleep so you can come wake up and act like a normal freaking human being. But I will say um, so far, and this is to you guys, my listeners, um, everyone is incredibly impressed that Decoding Fox News is reader, listener supported. Everyone I've mentioned it to, they go, wow, really? That, that works? That can actually happen? And I'm like, yes, it actually happened. These people are awesome and they're amazing. And if you would like to become a paid um, supporter of Decoding Fox News, you can go to my Substack at Decoding Fox News. You go to my Patreon and become a Patreon supporter. Some people only support the project for a month, maybe two, and then they drop out. Some people have been with me from day one and they've supported every single month, which is amazing, thank you. If you can't afford to support me financially, that's also amazing. If you could just share this podcast, share the newsletter with a friend, tell everybody, hey, decoding Fox News, it's worth listening to, it's worth supporting. That also helps me tremendously. Thank you very much. I would say goodbye from the mascots, Odin and Thor, but they are in Brooklyn and my neighbors are watching them. So they say uh, goodbye in kind with love from my heart to yours. I'm exhausted. I don't know if there's going to be a weekly podcast because I don't know how I can catch up with the work. I'm totally in over my head. But thank you so much for listening. I'll see what I can do. Um, I will see you at the next podcast. Thank you.